So we only have two verses to go today. Romans chapter 12, we will get through the, the part you all know. But let's see if you know everything you're supposed to know about what you know. Huh, huh, huh. Are you confused yet? If not, give me a few minutes and we'll get there. But this is the beginning of the downhill portion of the program in Romans. So you have climbed the mountaintop. You have gotten everything that you need to understand who God is, who you is, and why those two things matter together, together and what that means for you in life. Now, you have knowledge. Be fruitful and multiply and conquer, right? No, no, no. What's the goal of Christian living? It is not knowledge, it is what? It's wisdom. What's wisdom? See, knowledge is knowing a bunch of stuff. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the stuff. See, like if I pop the hood because the car won't start and go, that's an engine. I know that is an engine. Am I, am I any better off than I was before I popped the hood? No. It's like, what, oh, what's that, what's that movie? It's a, it's a Kevin Costner movie where he opens it. There's lots of stuff, uh, lots, of, lots of hot stuff. <laughs> Yeah. See, no, that doesn't help anybody. That's not going to do anybody any good. I need to actually be able to apply what I know about an engine if I know anything about it. Same thing with theology. You've been laid, all this theology has been laid out for you by Paul for 11 chapters. Now it's time to make sure that we don't leave the Roman church and by extension the rest of Christianity down through the ages in the lurch. So rather than trust you just to work it out by yourself, the Holy Spirit goes, let's make sure we lay down some bumper rails so that as they understand this, they understand this rightly. That is beginning in chapter 12 and carries through into 13, 14, 15, and 16. So, let's dive in because that's what we should do. Verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren. See, this is one of those rules of life. So, um, anytime you see a therefore in your Bible, what question do you ask? What's the therefore, therefore? <laughs> so, what do you know? Therefore, brethren. So, sin corrupts all of life and everyone is under effects and condemnation is just from God on all sin. Um, there's a cure for this. It is God's grace in Christ through faith. God has provided Christ. We therefore, because we are changed by him, live for him. You're going to have some difficulties in this. That's Romans like six and seven. Um, God will not forsake you. That's Romans eight. Our position is secure in Christ because it is God who has called us, not the other way around. That's Romans nine. And God's work has not stopped. That's Romans 10. And that is especially true in regards to what it means to be the people of God. That is Romans 11. So in light of that, Paul can urge you brethren to do what? Well, not anything specific yet, but he's urging you by the mercies of God. In other words, go back. Remember who you are and why you stand. This is not something that's new in your Bible. So Acts chapter 4, one of Peter's uh, little speeches when he's talking to Sanhedrin, tells them that there is salvation in no one else, talking about Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. This was the call at the beginning of the book, Romans 1, 7. All who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, Paul has put the mercies of God in perspective in chapter 5. Not only this, talking about the work of the gospel, but we exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So, I'm coming around, doing a Johnny Depp impression here. So, you are being urged by the mercies of God, which means Christian. You are being called in 
Christ to live and understand your place in the world in light of God's gracious work. This is the the foundation for that reminder I always give you. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. So you see you and go, and and some of you maybe should go, I'm not naming names, just pointing that out there. (laughs) But once you've done that, you then look back at Christ and recognize that, no, 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 I was but in him I am clean. I was, but in him I am righteous. I am secure before the Father. I have a place in the kingdom. I will enter into the throne because the high priest has made a sacrifice. He has brought me there. That is who I am in Christ. And I live with that forward look, with that forward thought. So you are being urged by the mercies of God to do what? Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. This is, this is where it gets really easy. Live like you might possibly be redeemed in the world. (laughs) Now, why would Paul give you that charge? Because for 11 chapters, he's been laying out what? That you are. This is part of the fruits of the work. This is part of the fruits of your work. So Luke 9, Jesus was saying to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, what will it look like to take up your cross and follow after Christ? It might look like something like Matthew 7. Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, why can Paul connect to this? Why give you this warning? Because you are changed of God by the mercies and grace of God, which means, wait for it, if you have been changed of God, should you be different than before you were changed? Yes! This is the joy of sanctification. Now, before we get too far down this, always remember what sanctification looks like. It starts here. Think of it like a good stock market, right? Not like whatever, well, not even like the fake one we have now, but like what a good one's supposed to look like when it's actually accomplishing something. It starts here and then does what over time? Now, does that mean there's never going to be a dip? No, but occasionally there's going to be a dip, but over time, like if you looked at it over the course of the last three weeks, it might look really, really bad. So like if you're looking at our stock market in the United States and say you looked around like October of 1929, like that would be bad, right? Like, we don't want to see that one because that looks like what? That looks like falling off the cliff. But when you look at it in the grand scheme of 1900 to 2000, that little drop in 1929, what does it look like? Eh, it was a bad day, but look look at what's happened since then. This is how you view sanctification. This is what I always tell you. We celebrate how many of the good steps. Like, yay, we went forward. Oh, we went backward. No, no, but, 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 but over time. So you don't look to a profession of faith. You don't look to a baptism. You don't look to anything that was. You look at what is, and you look at what is in light of who you were before Christ. That's your proof of concept. That's your security of salvation. Are you better now than you were 5, 10, 15, hike 20 years ago, whatever, if God has given you that much time in Christ? And if you are, you rejoice. Are you as good as you want to be? No. If, if I ask the people who are above 70 years old in here, are you as righteous as you want to be? Almost all of them are going to look at me and go, probably not. Clark might want to be ornery, but that's Clark. It's okay. <laughs> Got to pick on him a little bit. He does good work, so I can pick on him. 
You're never going to be a completed process this side of eternity, but there is coming a point in eternity because this is what Christ has promised. This is what God has guaranteed, that there is coming a day when even the creation will no longer be subject, when we will overwhelmingly conquer in all of these things. This is why these previous sections in Romans are so important, is Paul is laying out the foundation for why you can have this hope and why you can do this work. Now, that means there's an uncomfortable truth. What happens when you have someone who claims Christ, who names the name of Christ 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, and they look an awful lot now like they did when they started? What does that mean? What does that say? None of the answers to that are good. Most of them are bad. Some of them might be neutral. (laughs) But none of the answers are actually good. Why? Because who is the one who accomplishes all things? It is God. Who is the one who has redeemed his people? God. Who is the one who has given his spirit? God. Who is the one who is indwelling his people? God. Who is the one who is sanctifying them day by day? It is God. Why can Paul say that he is confident that he who began a good work will bring it to the day of completion? Because God doesn't look at his word and go, ah, these people are like a Rubik's Cube and I've just got nothing. Look, look, I got a color. (laughs) No. He can accomplish. He can deliver. He can redeem. He can sanctify. Which means if you're not... That means he's not, which means you're not either. So if you're not being sanctified, it's because you have not been redeemed. You have not been changed of God. Now pause. Go all the way back to the beginning of the letter. What's the hope? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, to all people. So the work doesn't change, just our rationale and understanding of the world changes. Now this is very, very important because... This is how you evaluate in the world, is understanding that Christian people live as a living and holy sacrifice that is a function of living their lives as an offering to God. Why? Because they have been changed and the Holy Spirit is doing that. Stop doing that. You want to go this way? We're going this way. We might let you go that way for a little while, but what's ultimately going to happen? Yeah, yeah. we're going to get drugged, kicking and screaming if we have to. This is when you see the people talk about that they had a prodigal child. You know, it was months, sometimes a couple of years. But what happens? They come back. If they didn't come back, it's because what? There was no back in them to come to. There was nothing to come back to. They weren't in. Again, you disciple, you train, you proclaim Christ always to you in your life. Because where's your first ministry? At home, and it begins with? you. So as you are being a disciple, as you are discipling, you are training up yourself and training up those you have influence with, as they are going astray, you're doing what? See, this is the joy of church kids. You ready? (laughs) This is why I'm not like a massive testimony person, because you got people like me who kind of have that moment. And then you have people like my wife who's making an escape because she knows I'm going to already talk about her. (laughs) Pick out her because she chooses right now to make a run for it now. She's doing better. She can actually walk, so that's an accomplishment now. Um, but if you ask Cameron, like, when was the, when was the time? Mm-hmm. Because she did what? She grew up in church. It was there before she can remember. Singing the songs, knowing the hymns. There's not really a time when it was like, there's not really an aha moment. It's just, it moved from being something you were being taught to something you understood and something that was yours. One of those is not better than the other. Because be honest, if you were going to pick for your kids, which one do you want? Do you want mine or, or, the, or Cameron's? 
Yeah, you, you want the kid to not know the other part of this. You just want them to just assume this in. What do you want for your kids and your grandkids? That's not bad, but recognize that when we make it about that aha moment, we diminish the work that the church is actually supposed to be doing of training up and strengthening and discipling, even amongst us. Like this shouldn't be, every day should not be this, oh, I didn't know that before and now I am enlightened. Like every once in a while it'd be nice to have those moments, but should you be having that as a Christian every single day? If you are, you, we probably need to have your head examined, literally, because you can't remember things. Because you're, it's like, I'm sure we covered this at some point. No, the regular work of God is just that regular. It's the day in and day out joys of discipleship and understanding and growing. Again, just, you know, little peaks and valleys, overcoming over time, getting in the right direction. That's the work. That's the presentation. That's the living in Christ. Realize, as we've already covered, it's only possible. Why? Because of the mercies of God. Now, I'm going to stop real quick and ask you an interesting question. Did you notice how specific Paul was about what that looks like? Did you catch that? I mean, that just like, doesn't that just nail it down for you? Go, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Go knock that out. <laughs> I'm not going to make it any better for you. You know why? Because your Bible doesn't make it any better for you. This is part of the gray area of Christian living. My life looks different from yours. Your life looks different from mine. You have a different spouse. You have different family. You have different jobs. You have different kids. You have different friends. You have different hobbies. You have different television shows. You have everything. So how you live as a sacrifice is different from how I will, is different from how your neighbor will. Ultimately, what needs to be your focus? The God who has delivered you, the God who has shown his mercy. And as you think and as you evaluate and as you apply the understandings of who you are, who God is, and why those things matter together, you figure out how am I a sacrifice in this place? How am I a sacrifice at my job with this family member, with that family member? It's going to look different and it's going to look <sighs> complex isn't the right word, but I can't just give you the rundown. I can't just give you your checklist because that's not fair. I'm going to miss something, or I'm going to put a burden on you that's not yours to bear. You don't have the same spiritual gifts that I have. You don't have the same spiritual gifts as the people sitting next to you. Which gifts should you be exercising? The ones you have or the ones you don't? Yeah. We get really good in the modern world at trying to get you to do what? Exercise the ones you don't. We've, we spent how many years in the church going, get out of your comfort zone? Stretch yourself. Grow. No, do what you're good at. <laughs> Do what you're capable of. What a novel idea, right? Like, I'm a numbers person, and I despise poetry. I will write songs for God. About what? <laughs> just, like, just like, you know, the starving artist type? <laughs> About numbers. One, two, three, you have loved me. <laughs> Sorry. Likewise, do you take the starving artist and put them on the finance team? No! They're, they're, they're numbers, man. It doesn't really matter. Let's, it's, they, they meant well. And no, 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 the number has to be right. Otherwise, the bank sends back the check. It has to be right. We don't want this. So you do what? You give someone who actually has some ability to count. You put them in the finance team. You put the people that can actually sing. Like, you don't put me in the worship team, Okay. You don't want the sound of drowning strangled cats every morning. Just picture that into your brain. <laughs> like I have one note I carried in my bucket. There are many notes like it, but this one is mine. You know, 
Why? Because there are things you're good at, things you're not good at. This is, I learned this really quickly in youth group. I stopped asking kids to pray. Because you know what? If the kids want to pray, you know what they'll do? They'll come say something. And you know, when you take a 14, 15-year-old who doesn't like speaking in public and it's the worst thing on the planet and you put them on the spot in a place they're already a little uncomfortable, that doesn't bode well for long-term success, does it? So I don't put you guys on the spot, unless it's like my family or somebody I already know I can pick on. I mean, because at the end of the day, you should actually enjoy Christian living and glory in the joy of the Lord, which means the things that you have been gifted for, the things that you're good at, those are the things that you lean into and try to figure out how you utilize them. How do you leverage them for the kingdom? Because that's you. I want you to serve God. I don't want to turn you into someone else and then have them serve God. You know what we'll do? We'll go get them and try to do the same thing. That's why this is not more specific. That's why it's built on the understandings of theology. Who is God? Gracious, holy, righteous, rewarder of his people, judgment upon sin. But he is gracious to those whom he has loved, and he is redeeming them and sanctifying them, and you are struggling through that, and you are rejoicing and trusting in him. Therefore, who you are before him be the sacrifice. Verse one continues. That holy sacrifice is supposed to be what? Acceptable to God. Well, that should be obvious how that works at this point. It's offered by God, by one who is what? Already accepted in God's sight. Things like Jude 24 and 25. Talking about Jesus. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Why can God do that? Because salvation has been accomplished. 1 Corinthians 9. I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Why does Paul have that desire? Because who he was is not who he is. He has been changed of God. He has been redeemed. Salvation has been accomplished. And that perfection is being accomplished day by day by the work of the Spirit. Things like 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So why will it be acceptable? Because God has accomplished. So this is something we did on Wednesday, so I will remind you of it. So God creates. So Genesis 1, God makes everything, right? Simple enough. He makes people, sticks them in the garden, and tells them to do what? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. So in other words, take what the garden is and extend it to the ends of the earth. Bring God's dominion to the ends of the earth. Now, if you were going to give somebody that job, do you want to give them that job in Romans 12, or do you want to give them that job in Genesis 2? Where do you think it'd be easier? Genesis 2, it's a lot easier. There's no sin. We have a good garden. Life is good. Life is easy. Oops, right? So you fast forward. You put Noah on the boat. You judge sin. You redeem Noah and family because Noah is righteous and walks with God. You crash the boat at the end. Well, you know, you land it softly in the mountains because, let's be honest, what does that, awful, what does that sound an awful lot like? Crashing the boat at the end. So, you know, we'll just go with it. So what was left of the sin that was judged? It's done. What do you tell Noah and family to go do? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, right? To do what? Take the 
security of the ark and extend it to the ends of the earth. Would you rather do that in Genesis 9 right after the ark, or would you rather do that in Romans 12? I'd rather do it in Genesis 9. It should be a lot easier. Oops. (laughs) Yeah, now we're going to call Abram, later to be called Abraham. He's an idolater. He is not walking with God. We're going to put him in a cursed land of Canaan that we're eventually going to give to his family, and we're going to tell him to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So now we're going to take, we failed to send dominion when it was perfect. We failed to send dominion after judgment upon sin, and it was as close to perfect as it was ever going to get. And yet now we're going to extend dominion in the midst of a sinful world with a sinful guy in the midst of a judged land. What could possibly go wrong? And, and yet what happens? The nation comes. The king comes. Dominion is extended now and in the future when the final kingdom arises. Because where Adam and Eve as people failed, where Noah and family as people failed, Abram doesn't succeed because he's swanky and good. God succeeds. Your sacrifice is acceptable because it is offered through God, through the work of the Spirit in you, redeeming that that sanctification chart going on. Your sacrifice as you lean into Christ, as you understand who he is and what he has done, and as you seek to bring all of your thoughts captive, to be searched by him and be led by him, as Psalm was it, 139 would tell you, as you do these things, the sacrifice is acceptable because it is offered by the strength of God in you. So where you have failed, God succeeds. This is a reminder from Romans 11. Where Israel fails, God has succeeded because what they could not do, God was always going to do. Same thing going on in your sanctification. That's why this little verse ends with, which is your spiritual service of worship. And that bugs me because I ended up learning this for Bible drill, working with those kids in an, in an NIV. And I, my brain always wants to change it to your spiritual act of worship. <laughs> You're in the same one. It's like, Nyeh! so every time I read that, my brain goes like this in the back, just so you know, and now yours will too. You're welcome. So you are being urged by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which will, will be acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Meaning, worship is not something that you do. Worship is something that you are. So things like Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds." That's your act of worship. Because of what Christ has done, you are now different. Because of the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you are now thinking and living differently. Welcome to your offering. This is now how you live. Oh, oh, what's the, um, oh, my brain just stopped. Hold on. Every once in a while, old hymns pop into my head and stuff like this. I don't even know how old it is. But that's the the baseline behind the hymn. Um, oh, what's the name? It's, uh, Make me a sanctuary. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. Yeah, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Now stop. What's a sanctuary? What's the sanctuary in your Bible? Before that. Now, 
It's the temple. It's the tabernacle. Why is there a tabernacle there? So that God can indwell. Then it's a temple. Why is there a temple there? So that God can indwell. Why are you the temple of the Holy Spirit? Because God has indwelled. So the sanctuary is the place that God dwells. For what to occur? You go to the tabernacle so the priest can do what? Offer sacrifice. You go to the temple so the priest can do what? You can make offerings. and So the place where the worshipers go to offer, make offerings and where the priest goes to offer sacrifice, we would call that their what? Their worship. Now, you're being made into a sanctuary for this very reason. This is your spiritual service of worship. You are the tabernacle of God now. As the Holy Spirit indwells, he has changed you. He has redeemed you. He has set you on a new course, which means you are now living worship each and every day. Zealous for good deeds because you understand what they're supposed to be. This is the accomplishment. This is our, um, our old math equation. I always joke that it's, I call it a math equation. You don't change your life from the outside in. You've tried that, right? Behavior modification, how well does that work long term? I mean, you can modify human behavior, but how much effort does it require? Yeah, I mean, you have to, and how much consistency does it require? For those of you that have children, right? <laughs> yeah. What's easier? Change from the outside in? No, no. Change what they want. Because if I change what they want, I change how they think about the world, I change what they desire in the world, and then that will change what they do in the world. Welcome to what the Holy Spirit does. Changes who you are, changes what you want, changes how you think, which then changes how you live. And again, I made mention last week that the judgment of Psalm 69, I told you guys to go read that because you could actually see the joy of David. So go back to that because this is a fulfillment of that. As for me, my prayers to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the greatness of your loving kindness, answer me with your saving truth. Deliver me from the mire and do not let me sink. May I be delivered from my foes and from the deep waters. May the flood of water not overflow me, nor the deep swallow me up, nor the pit shut its mouth on me. That's been accomplished in Christ. You are not lost. You are not forgotten. You are not forsaken. You are righteous in his sight. Why? Hebrews 9. If the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? In other words, no offering in you, no offering you could find, but Christ, his offering, sanctifying a people, giving them the longing of an understanding heart, a redemption from sin, a strengthening in this world, and a new spirit to understand what God is, what he has done, and what that means. Hence, the partial warning of verse 2. So in light of that, and do not be conformed to this world. Oh, why not? It's such a nice place, isn't it? <laughs> Well, 1 Peter 2, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. See, always remember that as the nation of God, as that holy people for God's own possession, that means as you live east of Eden, you live this side of the veil, you live where? In a place that is not your home. So I, I gave you an old song. I'll give you a newer song. So there's um, uh, Building 429. Don't read my mind, woman. That's not nice. It's frightening when she's picking, she's mouthing the song, the band name before I do. Um, All I know is I'm not home yet. This world, uh, and somehow, all I know is this world is not where I belong. 
yeah, take this world and give me Jesus. See, this is what happens when I don't put the stuff like this in my notes. You're stuck with my memory. And this is bad, because remember, I have one tune. I have one note. This is mine, and there are many like it. <laughs> exactly. No, you can't have it. It's mine. If you take my note, what will I do? <laughs> so you are not built for here. You are built for the here that is not here yet. You are built for the new heaven, the new earth, the cleansing. That's why you rightly recoil at the horrors of the world. You look at sin and go, you're supposed to. That's good. Don't, don't soften that. Look, don't be shocked by it, but don't soften that initial, I don't want that. You shouldn't. You shouldn't want the sinfulness of the world because you are seeking something that is higher. This is the, uh, what First John warns you about. First John 2, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. See, you're not fit for here. You're fit for something else. That something else was laid out in Romans 8. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Meaning, that struggle that you have from Romans 6 and Romans 7, there's coming a day when that's undone. There's coming a day when that's not who you will be. And in that day, the creation itself will rejoice because when you are finally redeemed and you are here, the creation knows what? It too is redeemed as well. And that the toil of the ground and the, the weeds and the dust and the whole nine yards is gone. And the creation serves God. The creation builds for the people of God rightly. So do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. So instead of following them, you're supposed to be following him. Which again, not a new idea in your Bible. Proverbs 6. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Why is that part of Proverbs? Because if you rewind in your Old Testament, go back to the only commandment with a promise. What is it? Honor your father and your mother so that your days will be long in the land. Well, how is that supposed to work? Well, what is this father and mother supposed to be teaching you, child? Remember where they're standing. They're at the foot of the mountain and God is bellowing down and they're like, Moses, you go talk to him. We're gonna be right here. <laughs> Remember, the most unnecessary verse in your entire Bible is when God goes, place guards in a border and do not let anyone come up the mountain. And all the people went, duh. <laughs> well, like you needed to tell us that. We're gonna be good right here. We have no need to go up there. You go up there and we'll be fine. So God is speaking to them. What are they supposed to be encouraging the next generation with? This is the Shema of Deuteronomy 6. that They talk about, what God is. Love the Lord with your God. Serve him. Instruct when you get up. Write it on your doorpost. Bind it on your foreheads. Bind it on your wrists. Well, if you train your children in this manner, then the blessings of God flow upon his people in the land that he has given them. If you don't, and they rebel against that, well, then all the curses of the end of Deuteronomy come into play, and don't nobody want to deal with that. So that's why it's the commandment with a promise. This is the transformation. This is why the teaching is done the way that it is, that we hand things down to the next generation. This is my, um, my laugh from when we went through Romans 10. How will they know unless they are told? And how will anybody tell them unless they are sent? And I made the joke, we, you know, we, uh, we clung way too long in evangelicalism to preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. 
It's always necessary. Imagine, I'm going to do that one Sunday. That's it. We're going to have a mime Sunday. I'm just going to be up here going. <laughs> I had, as a baseball coach, the simplest signs for a runner on first in history because they couldn't learn anything. So you try to come up with something like, we're going to put a sign on, we're going to take a sign off. Like, if, we, if I touch the skin, it's on. If I touch the shirt, it's off. And, and then you, my kids would just stare at me like, huh? Because this is what happens when you don't get start playing baseball until they're in high school. So I'm like, guys, it's really easy. If you're on first base and I want you to steal second, the sign will go up. Whatever it is, it'll just go up. If I want you to stay put, it'll go down. It's simple. So like, if I do this, stay put because it went down. If I do this, go because it went up. Easy, right? Like you guys could all figure that out in... My leadoff hitter, three-year starter in center field, senior, is on first base. I can still see him to this day. He nods his head. Pitch goes. DeAndre is still standing at first base. He nods. Pitch goes. DeAndre is still standing on first base. I look at the dugout. Did you get that? I got that, coach. <laughs> Third pitch goes by, bounces in the dirt. Oh my goodness, you could have run on a 1-1 on a, on a one, one curveball. That was beautiful. Before the fourth pitch, DeAndre, steal second. Oh, okay. Catcher looks at me. He's stealing. You should throw him out. He deserves it. <laughs> I mean, in a game, just, just steal the base, son. Got to second base. Hey, come steal third next. Okay. <laughs> I mean... Oh my goodness, son. Simple, basic. You'd be amazed how much we can make things complicated and how difficult we do this. This is why it is necessary to explain things in Christianity. I mean, let's be honest. Like, like look at this thing. I mean, that's, that's a lot of words, right? Could, I can't sign that to you. I mean, of course, if I learn American Sign Language, I can't. But you know what I mean when I say I can't sign it to you. Like, I can't just try to live it out in hopes that you'll figure it out. I have to do what? I have to explain. This is why. The commandment is to follow along, to pass it on to the next generation. This is what the transformation of mind is about. It's about changing the way you think by changing the heart and soul of the person, by explaining who Christ is and what he has done for his people. And that's fulfilled. So 1 Corinthians 2, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, and yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. You think differently. You understand. That's why I joke with you. Like you never woke up, you never wake up and be like, I cannot believe that what I did was wrong. I cannot believe that I have been indulging with this sin. Like when you say that to yourself, we both know what you're doing, right? It's called lying. You're just lying to you. I'm not going to tell you it's not okay. I'm not going to tell you it is okay. You know the difference. That's never a thing. You know what you did. You know why you did it. And you know whether or not you're going to try to do it again. It's not like it was a shock to you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is looking at you going, what are we doing here, dude? Seriously, what's, what's, what's going on? You know where we're supposed to be. You know where this road leads. Discipline is coming, so get back on track. And if you continue on that road how long enough, what does God who loves you do? 
He disciplines you. Just like you don't let your kids play in traffic. Like, you know, nobody goes out to, nobody goes out to I-90 and be like, okay, kids, go chase the kickball around. Have fun. I mean, my grandfather would tell me to do it when I was getting annoying, but <laughs> I don't think he ever actually meant it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder now. <laughs> yeah, go play in traffic. Huh? Okay. <laughs> no, you don't just turn the kids loose. Why not? Because you know that would be bad for them. And if you see them attempting to do that, you would do what? Stop them because it's wrong and it's bad. Well, the guy, because you love them and care about them. Well, if God actually loves you and cares about you because he's, because he has adopted you and you are his, when he sees you playing in traffic, he's eventually going to do what? Eventually going to snatch you up or he's going to let you get hit by a car, metaphorically speaking, and then snatch you up and go see what happens when you don't listen to me. Now get back on the road you're supposed to be on. This is the discipline of God. This is the warning. This is why the encouragements to be transformed, to forsake the world. Why? Because we see it rightly. Second Corinthians 4. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out in darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In other words, you know. This is one of the reasons why people go, well, I'm not really sure how to tell people about Jesus. Well, how did you get in? <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. Who is God? Who are you? What's the problem with those two things? I mean, but, but I've joked with you before about caveman theology, right? Like me bad, him good. Okay, we'll start there. What's the problem with that? Well, if me bad and him good, me no see him. Him judgment on me. I'm going to stop talking like that because I'm going to confuse myself. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so easy, a caveman can do it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Now, yeah, exactly. Ooga booga. <laughs> Why is that a simple starting point, though? Because you've now, you, but you've simply just laid out who God is, who you are, and now what the problem is. Now, what has God done about that? Congratulations, you've just figured out evangelism. You don't need 12 classes. You don't need nine spiritual points. You need to understand who you are and who God is and why those things matter. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. Why? Because that's the fruit of my standing. Because as I live by the mercies of God, changed by him, redeemed by him, offering myself to him, not loving the world, but forsaking the sinfulness of the world and clinging to the righteousness that is given to me in Christ and thinking differently. Congratulations, you have just figured out where you're supposed to be on this planet. I don't know what the will of God is for my life. To be sanctified, First Thessalonians 4, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Well, that was easy. <laughs> I mean, so next time someone goes, I don't understand what the will of my God is. First Thessalonians four, verse three. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warn you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who, so he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You ever notice those are the two things that always get brought up? The two examples in scripture are always 
how you think whether or not you're being honest or being a thief or not, and sexual immorality. Why do you think that is? See, we look at the pagan world, and you start, if you, I will spare you, but if you've ever done any research into like the pagan cults of Canaan and what was going on, and the sacrifice and how worship was accomplished, again, I will spare you, you start to look at the world and go, man, why are they so obsessed with that? Now, pause for a second. The answer is really simple. Because this is what broken humanity obsesses over. It obsesses over the spiritual, not the spirit, the physical, the things that we love. It forsakes the spirit in, in exchange for what makes me happy when? Now. Not five minutes from now. Now. I want to be happy now. I'll regret later. I'll be happy now. And this makes me happy, therefore. I mean, no alcoholic has ever gotten up the next day hungover and been like, oh, man, this is such an awesome headache. I love it. <laughs> That has never once happened. And yet, what's going to happen the next night? Yeah, because it makes me happy. Now, I'll deal with the consequences later. Only when you actually mature and, you know, things change does that actually work itself out. So look at your world around you. What are we seeking to please? Ourselves. Now. Saw a great one yesterday. So compare the sexual immorality to the just moral bankruptcy. That, and I fall into this demographic slightly, that... Gen Z and millennials prefer self-checkout. Now, I'm on the border of Gen X, so I, by the way, I prefer self-checkout. You know why? Because it's easier. I can just organize my groceries. I have the little bag that I brought in with me. I can organize it the way I want. I don't have to worry about whether or not you put my eggs on the bottom. I don't have to do like Cameron and I did it one time in Walmart. We bought a tray of cupcakes. <sighs> They put the scan tag on the top, and the woman picked it up, looked at the bottom, and realized there was no scan on the bottom, so she took our cupcakes and flipped it over and scanned it. Oh my goodness! Like, it's Walmart. I get that the bar is low, but you managed to go underneath it. <laughs> That's impressive. See, I don't have to worry about this when I scan my own groceries. I don't have to worry about this when I can organize them in my own bag. I don't have to worry about whether I should put my strawberries underneath a can of Pepsi. I don't have to worry about any of that. So I like self-checkout. Why do, like, the majority of millennials and Gen Z like self-checkout? Makes it easier to steal stuff. That was the actual answer. The number one answer why they like self-checkout. Like 38% of the people that like self-checkout because it's easier for me to steal stuff. And what do you steal when you steal stuff from the store? The most expensive item in the cart. <laughs> Which, I mean, I guess if you're, gonna, if you're gonna do it, you might as well be smart about it, right? Like, no sense in stealing the cheap stuff. Let's steal the good stuff. I mean, <laughs> I get that. Look, to each their own. I don't fault you. If you want to go wait in line, God bless you. Have fun. I don't care. But... Why is that the thing? Because this is the moral bankruptcy. Why? Because you have enough money. Look at the store. Look at the lights that are on. Look at all the stuff you have on the shelves. And that's why if you go to certain stores now, everything is behind glass. And why you're not allowed to go get Sudafed without 12 signatures and a federal warrant. I mean, this is the brokenness of our world. Why? Because this is what humanity creates when left to its own devices. And what has the modern secular world tried to do? Give humanity its own devices. If we just leave you alone long enough, everything will be fine. If you actually, if you actually want a great picture of this, the, um, the argument for the last 20 years, and there's, a, um, there's one reporter who I've been reading up on who's been doing a ton of research on this. We started putting, as, as a country, methadone clinics everywhere. Because it does what? 
It stops overdoses. It stops people from dying of overdoses. They can go, and you know what they're finding? The more methadone clinics you put in there, you know what you get? More overdoses. More overdose deaths. Why? Because there's a safety net. So I will take more chances. I'm more willing to engage in my addiction because I think someone might actually be able to save me. In other words, if we try to save you from yourself without changing the heart and we try to work from the outside in, all we really do is give you some bumper rails that will allow you to do what? Drive off the cliff. This is what humanity produces. Why? Because they have no concept of the will of God, because they have no concept of sanctification, because they do not have the Holy Spirit, because they have not been redeemed, because the grace of God has not been poured out upon them. What's the cure for that? That's Romans 10. You go and proclaim what? Christ in him crucified. And then you trust in the mercies of God. You trust in his working and his building of the kingdom. First John 5. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him and who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. It's the change of heart leading to a change of life because of who Christ is and what he has done. So you will prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, back to where we've been talk, talk, start, start, talking about from the start. Your sanctification, well, perfection, getting to the end of that you know, ladder climb right there. Colossians 2, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed, overflowing with gratitude. Which, by the way, I love the tree reference for that. Do you plant 40-foot oak trees? No, I, oh my goodness, horror story from my childhood. You'll love this one. My parents bought this house. No, 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 not this, not not this, this is, this is better. My, um, my parents, when we moved to North Carolina, bought this plot of land. They bought 70 acres out in the middle of nowhere. When I say the middle of nowhere, the power line stopped at my house. Like there was nothing past us. (laughs) So if you drove two miles past our house, you got to a dirt road. If you went four miles down that dirt road, you got to a town of like 80 people. So when I, when I say the middle of nowhere, I mean the middle of nowhere. So nearest neighbor was a mile plus the other way. So it's like living in space where no one can hear you scream. (laughs) Now, when we moved in, there were these um, shrubs in the front yard where an old house had been. So it lined where an old driveway was. My father had the brilliant idea that he wanted them gone, but he didn't just want to cut them down. He wanted them gone, gone. So he's going to dig them up. Now, when I say he was going to dig them up, yeah, as like the 11 slash 12 year old, you know whose job it was to dig those up during the summer when everybody else had jobs? Yes. I kid you not. Shrubs in the yard that are this tall. Do you have any idea what that root system looks like? I was in the hole under the roots. (laughs) I had to climb out. So I'm in it with like the little pickaxe, like chipping away, trying to get to the bottom of the taproot because my father wouldn't just cut it off. He wanted to pull it out and you couldn't just pull it out with all the dirt. So you had to dig out all the root ball and then find the bottom of the taproot. He gave up at seven feet. Like, like when you ever see pictures like from the 1800s of like little kids going down coal mines, I was that little kid like in this hole of dirt. <laughs> and then like, well, I guess we're low enough. He hooks it up to the truck and drags it. I'm like, why couldn't we have just done, we couldn't do that four feet ago? Seriously? <sighs> what happens when you're an only child? There's no one to share the misery with. Now, 
There were days. Ah. So why do I joke about that? You see this tree. It didn't start like that. It started as what? When it was planted by somebody, it was this little stump and the root ball could fit in my hand, but you left it alone. This is where you are, Christian. You get planted. You start. Now, if you pull that tree up a year later, is it going to require a truck and a 12-year-old to labor for three months? No, it's going to require just a little bit of work. You pull it out and you're done here. But you let it go year after year after year, and that sanctification goes up and up and up. What does it look like? Now you got a root ball. Now you got a taproot going down into the ground. Now it's there. It's, not, it, it's only being rooted up with major effort. Is God allowing that effort on his children? No, this is his security. This is the strength. This is the hope. This is why that example matters is you are being built day by day, year by year, decade after decade. The roots are going out. You are secure in Christ. And by the way, he's not the only one who talks like this. Second Peter 3. Beloved, since you look for these things, talking about the coming kingdom, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Resting in him, trusting in him. Why? Because that's where my hope is, because that's where I am secure in the kingdom, is in the mercies of Christ poured out on me. And that place in, my, in his kingdom is secure because it has been granted to me by the love of God, and the world can't dig me up, they can't chop me down, they can't pull me away, because it is what God has promised. Now, what do I do? In light of that, I evaluate, and I think, and I go out into that world, and I offer myself daily with what I'm good at, what I'm gifted for, with who I know, with where I am, all things offered unto God, because that's how I live, guided by his spirit. Let's pray.